We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. I mean, Angie took on the Bible and Sue took on God, but compared to those two topics, human nature, the Bible is eminently knowable, which is why people argue endlessly about what's in it and what it means. And God is eminently unknowable. Anything we say about God is simultaneously subjective and subject to human error. I mean, if someone says they have a direct experience of God, there are so many variables. They could be lying. They could just be wrong. They could be right, but their worldview and or their vocabulary and my worldview and or my vocabulary are so different that I have no access to that direct experience. I have to admit I wasn't really paying attention when Doug divided up the topics for the summer lesson series, which is why I got stuck with human nature. <laughs> In future, I'm going to angle for Jesus. <laughs> so in 20 minutes, I could just summarize what Doug says about human nature in his book, but let's be frank. You could just read the book. I'd be happy to give you the cliff notes that I made while I was thinking through this lesson. So since I can't define human nature for you, because if you've been alive for more than a few years, you already know as much as I do. And because I can't summarize in 20 minutes the history of people or the history of people defining human nature, even just in the West or even just in Western Europe, and because I can barely even define the scope of the topic itself in such a short time, we could describe it, but we'd have to agree first on the situation, the context, and the background of the given example. We could speculate about how it came to be, but we'd have to decide whether to take a religious approach, a scientific approach, an anthropological approach, etc. We could consider an analysis of how it has affected human history or of all this, we could speculate on how it will influence our collective future. Instead, I'm just going to focus on the way we approach the topic itself. The wrong questions, easy answers, hard choices. The right questions, hard answers, easy choices. This is sort of the long title, the longer title of human nature. So I spent a few years teaching English composition to community college students as a side hustle to teaching English and American culture to refugees and immigrants. It was more lucrative, if you can imagine that. The goal of the course was supposed to be that they would learn how to produce a thesis statement. You might remember it from high school as the blueprint sentence or the main idea sentence. And then they sh were supposed to learn how to support it with a research paper. I took perverse pleasure in refusing to allow the students to even open the chapter in the textbook about thesis statements 
until we'd spent a couple weeks practicing producing what I called quaquas. <laughs> My point was that a thesis statement isn't the starting point of research into a topic, but a bridge between contemplating your own ideas and how you think about them, and doing research to find out what ideas other people have had about the topic and how they've thought about them. I think there's an important distinction here, which applies to our topic today, human nature, between ideas and how we think about them. So I made my students practice making this thing called quaquas so much that when I would run into my students outside class in our town of 10,000 in southern Vermont, they'd greet me across the street by yelling, quaqua. <laughs> and I, I don't think they meant it in a nice way. Mostly my students wanted to keep on writing thinly disguised descriptions of their opinions, mostly on weed, or the same book reports they'd written in middle school instead of essays and research papers. So it was a bit like that carnival game, whack-a-mole. For example, and I did not make this up. Question, why do some people think that humans are descended from monkeys? Answer, evolution is a made-up theory that's wrong. How is evolution made up? Why is evolution wrong? Using the process that I was insisting upon. How, when, where, why, what. Evolution was made up by a game not guy named Darwin who wasn't a Christian. Evolution is wrong because the Bible says so. The Bible says God made Adam and Eve who weren't monkeys. <laughs> I got that one and arguments for the legalization of marijuana a lot. <laughs> so making quaquas was a process. We did it together communally in the classroom. Sometimes I'd throw out a topic on, on the spot. I'd ask for a volunteer and we'd get up and we'd make one at the board over and over and over again. It was designed to encourage critical thinking by making our own reasoning, my students' own reasoning and the lack thereof, visible. It helped my students begin to adopt, sometimes for the first time, a more objective view of their own opinions, assumptions, blind spots, and pre preconceived notions. But most importantly to me, it was a process designed to help them feel confident enough, empowered even, to become aware of and even to challenge the seemingly objective and therefore authoritative views of people who call themselves experts. Because the kind of people I had in my classrooms were not the kind of people who experts thought very highly of. So that was my goal anyway. And that's how I want to grapple today with the topic of human nature. But we don't have a couple weeks, so I started without you. Question, how do we explain the fact that humans seem to be capable of doing terrible things that even animals don't do, despite our having sentience and souls two things that most people don't grant to animals. Answer, it is in our nature to be capable of these things because we have free will, not instinct, which makes our actions not just aggressive and vicious, but depraved. Why do we have free will? 
I'd have considered this beginning of a quaqua a pretty good start in my classrooms, but I would also have sent it back to the drawing board. Not just because it's not finished, but because you can see the direction it's heading. So I would tell them to keep going. Turn their best answers, their starting answers, into more questions. Question. Why did we have free will then if it was such a risky proposition? Answer. God created us in God's image with free will, not with instinct just like the animals. Well, why did we commit the original sin with our free will? Answer. We used our God-given free will because we wanted the knowledge of good and evil. Keep going. I would constantly tell my students to the point where when they saw me downtown, they'd shout quack quack at me from across the street. Question. So is human nature essentially good, divine image, or essentially bad, sinful? Answer. Neither. Human nature is a blank slate. Answer. Neither. Human nature is hardwired to do what is necessary to survive in a given environment long enough to procreate and raise children until they're old enough to procreate. Answer, bad. Human nature is tainted by original sin. Answer, good. Human nature is made in the image of God. I'd let them go on like this for a couple weeks until they were begging me to just let them follow the textbook, insisting that they were not up for this level of thought. But I wouldn't let them work beyond their initial questions and answers on their quaquas until they'd finally gotten beyond mere facts and opinion. And the first time I used that expression, mere facts, the students almost fell over, until they discovered the seed of an actual idea. Eventually, the ones who took the process seriously would start to see that the work of asking a good question is both far more difficult and far more important than they'd ever realized. And that they'd mostly been letting their teachers, their parents, and their peers frame the questions that had shaped their lives so far. And by the way, everybody got there eventually. Everybody. Some people needed more time or encouragement than others, but whether they had graduated from high school or dropped out, or thought they were smart, or believed they were dumb, everybody got there. Because it's human nature to ask questions. We just need to believe that it's okay not to know the answers, and to keep going. Huh, goes the question. The question kind of shapes the answer. So who benefits from asking, in our case, human nature, whether we're bad or good, whether we're good or bad, whether we're completely bad or completely good or a little bit of each. Maybe the better question is, what deeply held assumption is comfortingly confirmed when we ask the question, is human nature good or bad? But I still think it's the wrong question, the starting question. So how about this? Who the hell are we that we do such terrible and such beautiful things. The easy answer to this profound and deeply sad question is that the free will we were gifted 
caused us to grasp at something that we weren't meant to want, and as a consequence, we were afflicted with original sin, and this has caused our children and our children's children and all of the animals and all of the plants and all of the elements and the protons and the quarks, whatever they are, everything, endless misery. That's the easy answer. I will read aloud to you Doug's synopsis of this story as he retells it in his book, as you already know. <laughs> we were born into a beautiful garden as pure beings. Sadly, evil invaded our souls and was so powerful that it changed the very nature of our humanity and fractured the intrinsic goodness of the universe. Human sin fundamentally altered the nature of the planet and physical matter became so infected that nothing other than depravity and debasement could be expected. The DNA of our souls and our planet was corrupted. Consequently, the future of this earth is total destruction and ours is the role of an estranged alien an outsider. So who are we? The easy answer is that we're so destructive because we don't belong here. And lots of people have suffered because of this story. And lots of people have exploited this suffering and benefited from this exploitation. From telling others that they don't belong and lots of people have made sure that this story is told and retold until it seems like a fact, like reality. Until suffering itself stops looking like a problem that could be solved and instead looks like the truth itself. I suspect that who asks this question, who are we? and what kinds of lives they've led, and why, and how they feel about it, I suspect this matters a lot when you're talking about who belongs. For example, the experience of caring for children, whether you gave birth to them or not, observing firsthand how simultaneously resilient, sure, but also malleable they are. This has changed the way I grapple with this question of who we are and why I reject this easy answer that we don't belong here to ourselves, to each other, to this world, even to God. Two short anecdotes. <clears throat> I wanted to go to grad school, even though nobody in my entire ancestry had ever gone to grad school. And I wanted to go and study Western political theory. So I did. Um, and in my classes, there were lots of naval cadets because we were about a stone's throw from the Naval Academy. And um, we were reading Hobbes. So those of you who don't know Hobbes, you probably do know the phrase short, nasty, and brutish. It's basically an image of our of our beginnings on this planet where we just kind of stagger wandering in the dark, just beating each other over the heads. I mean, in my 
classmates were so into it. They loved that idea because they were like, we'd, just, we'd take it, you know, like they were, you could picture them thinking like, I'd be wandering in the darkness, but I'd be coming out on top every time. And I sat there listening and thinking about how I had made every dime I'd ever earned at that point um, babysitting. I had worked my way through high school, college, I was a nanny afterwards, forever taking care of other people's kids. And I remember thinking like, how would that even work? Like, would you put the baby on your back and like, then you'd like, you'd like, you'd learn to kickbox or something so that the baby was safe, but you'd, I mean like, would you, would you like, would you try to kick other people's babies? It just didn't, it just didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> But I didn't have a nerve to speak up because, I mean, like, you know, look at me, you know. It just was like there were two women in the entire class, and I wasn't quite sure about what I thought. Fast forward years later, I was standing in my backyard here in Raleigh um, with my neighbor from across the street who was a youth pastor. And I was very new to living in Raleigh and very new to the South. I'd never met anybody in my life who called themselves a youth pastor. I thought, what is that? I'd only ever seen priests, and they didn't have anything to do with youth. So... We're standing there and we're watching our kids in the waiting pool that I'd bought. And of course, Henry is in the waiting pool and my neighbor's kid is in the waiting pool. And I don't know what happened, but Henry reached out and gave that other kid, who's Ben, who's still you know, in and out of my house, gave him a shove. And because the waiting pool was a little bit filled with algae at that point, Ben went, fium, 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 and just landed outside the pool. It was really embarrassing for me, not for Tyler. And um, I looked over at him and I said, I said, oh, kids and he just looked at me and he said original sin <laughs> I I'd never ever heard that before I I, I had no idea for I mean I knew what the phrase meant but I didn't know what he was talking about so I call my classmates and Tyler's response to history and experience easy answers because they're filled with self-interested assumptions with self-serving expectations and maybe even filled with a certain amount of self-righteousness. In that watching people, other people, fail entitles us to continue to believe that we're not responsible to them. But we are, if we all belong. I'm going to read you to you again from Doug's book, so think of it as a refresher. Intent on conquering the known world, the doctrine of a distant creator who disdained matter was very convenient. If you're going to crush human bodies, it's convenient to believe that they are not sacred. If you're going to dominate the lands of other peoples, it is advantageous to believe that land itself is not sacred. If you're going to exploit creation, it helps to believe it's rotten anyway. Though clearly not the teaching of Jesus, this way of seeing human nature has often made us complicit in the power shenanigans of empires. Despite our many shining moments, influenced by this dualistic view of human nature, our church has also had many dark moments in bed with empire. And in bed with empire builders, we've often given doctrinal approval to colonialism, imperialism, slavery, and all kinds of abusive practices that crush human bodies, destroy human communities, and exploit human lands. 
what Tyler said at the waiting pool, he's not wrong, but he's also not right. And my idiot classmates with their cars, thinking that they were Tom Cruise and Tom, Top Gun, they'd been raised on the endless violence of TV and movies and the news and textbooks organized by thousands of years of wars and the things that cause and result from war. And yet, those things did happen. They're still happening. We've finally begun, though, as humans, to ask questions about what we used to think was unalterable and inevitable. We know now, for example, that when you expose humans to horrors, we develop what we now call PTSD. We know that you can make human beings do terrible things, yes, but that doing them usually breaks us. Both are true. Humans are capable of terrible things and humans are capable of beautiful things. And we're going to have to choose which to see as the truth and which to see as the lie. The right questions, hard answers, easy choices. When we say to someone, that's an easy choice, what we mean is that there's no real choice to be made at all. You know, like, John, you want broccoli or do you want an ice cream sandwich? All right. That our choice has already been made because of who and what we are. So again, what we mean is that there's no real choice to be made at all. Our choice has already been made because of who and what we are. So did a loving God who created us in God's own image create a world in which an embodied life can push us beyond our breaking point so far that we human beings who, despite belonging here, despite our indwelling divine nature, struggle in our fear and our pain in our human nature and often, therefore, cause ourselves more suffering by losing our faith, by our failure to remember who we are and suffer more? Let me repeat that more simply. Why do bad things happen to good people? And here's the easy choice, because yes, we can look out the window at the world, at human nature, and see that this does happen. But again, it's both the wrong question and an easy choice. Human nature is to live on a knife's edge of paradox, and yet, we do it. We live days filled with love and pleasure, despite knowing how many bad things can happen to us and the ones we love. How is this possible? How, given our reality and our position within it, weak, mortal, malleable, resilient, how can we possibly be expected to hang on to our hope and our joy as we walk this knife's edge every single day. But here we go again, like everything with human nature, just look out the window and you will see joy and happiness. I can't possibly answer any of these questions about human nature. Are we good, are we bad, are we more good, less bad, why are we bad, how do we get good? 
Clearly, we're good and we're bad. Clearly, we have free will and we use it. Clearly, we sin and we suffer for it. Are we blank slates? Are we animals struggling out of instinct toward the capacity for morality? Are we angels or devils? The answer to all of these questions is yes. And that's a hard answer. But it's also an easy choice to accept this gift of life that we've been given and the free will to create our own life, our own lives within it. We've seen what happens when we believe that because human nature is bad, the spiritual life can only ever be a battle with sin. And that's a quote from Doug's book. What would happen if instead we believed that not only human nature, but the human condition itself is meant for good, to be good, and therefore the spiritual life must be about creation, beyond care for what we were given and into the realm of co-creation. When I play with that idea and I look out the window, I see it. I see creation right there in art and music and poetry and in grief and love and despair and hope. Who are we? From Doug's book, but also from the Bible. <coughs> Who are we? I've looked at life from every angle, and this is what I come to. Enjoy the life you have. Eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart. For it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this life that God has given you under the sun. Indwelling divine, let us have the curiosity and courage to seek peace both within ourselves and with one another. Help us listen with open hearts, integrate new information, attend to nature, and develop spiritual practices that will serve us well in the journey. And thank you for the faith community we find ourselves in, where that curiosity and courage is embraced and celebrated. Amen. about this lesson series is it's a reminder that we are on the cutting edge of a new reformation. And a new reformation requires healthy spiritual communities. And this is a community that we are working to become ever more healthy. And that requires that we are all in this together, which we are. And investing in your community 
means investing your time and your talent and the dollars that make it all go. And so, I don't have the clicker to get to the QR code. <laughs> Is this the clicker? There you go, there's the box for that um, investment of dollars, which you can give, we all give online now. And as Doug says every week, uh, investing in, com in, in spiritual community, uh, there's a tremendous return on investment. And there's been a lot of investment in this community lately uh, that you can see, Heather talked about it last week, that's going on here in this chapel and in these grounds and in the lives of the people uh, who are touched by all of the love that gets poured into the gifts that people share in this community. So. Um, we need dollars also to make it go as we're thinking about growth and what this community is going to look like moving forward into the future. So you go ahead and click that box and, and just remember um, that your investment in this community helps us grow and this very, very important work that we have to do in this next reformation. And uh, in just a moment, I'm going to dismiss the folks on the live stream and I want to talk to you folks directly for just a minute because I know you. I know the people who show up on a regular basis because once a month I spend time with the folks in remote community and they're a wonderful group of people. And we just had a meeting with them this past week and we're reminded that, sure, they get on to talk about the lessons, what are you thinking, that's important, but what they're really doing is building community there. And so if you are joining for the first time, listening to us on a live stream, just take a look in the YouTube comments and you can click on the link to go to the Zoom or, or the link is on our website and meet some folks. They are warm, lovely, wonderful people, and if you get the chance to talk with them, you will be part of a beautiful community with them too. So, folks on the live stream, if you wanna join, what are you thinking? Right after this lesson, click on that link, and the code to get in is 1417. And with that, let's dismiss our friends on the live stream and put our hands over our hearts. And remember that inside these Human nature bodies, the divine dwells, and the fruits of the spirit are there. That means love, patience, kindness, goodness. All of it is there just waiting for us to share with the world. So let's extend our other hand out to our community, to the people with whom we live and work and go to school, so that we can share the love of the divine that is in us with them as we work to be repairers and healers of our world. Amen. Folks on the live stream, not the live stream, live stream, you're dismissed. <laughs> Everybody else in the room? If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.